0: I can recommend 2 Corinthians 5.17 for you to memorize. I would also recommend 2 Corinthians 5.21 for you to memorize. 2 Corinthians 5.17, which is our first verse here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's how I memorized it. Um, Here it is in the English Standard Version, which is what we should see over here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. See, I was memorizing it and updating it so that I could be gender neutral. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And here's verse 21, which is the other verse I think you should memorize. Um, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I think that's uh, close to the ESV. Um, So let's, uh, let's go back and look at this idea of those of us who are in Christ being a new creation over and over again in the New Testament, especially in Paul's epistles, we have this idea of being in Christ. So, those of you that have been around me for a long period of time have seen me do this before, and this is something that I got from an old theology professor of mine in college. But this is you, okay, and this is Christ, and you are in Christ. So the question is always, are you in Christ or are you outside Christ, right? Um, when we are in Christ, the Apostle Paul says, we become uh, ambassadors for him, all right? So when we're in Christ, let's back up to verse 16, which I, I didn't read, but I want to I recover this again as we go into verse 17. Um, the Apostle writes, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? The flesh, Okay. It means we stop looking at the externals, okay? We start trying to understand where people are coming from uh, as uh, the, uh, the novel To Kill a Mockingbird has it. Uh, Atticus Finch is talking to his, his young daughter, Scout, and he says you, you've got to learn to walk around in someone else's skin, Right. Sometimes we've heard people say, "You gotta, you know, walk in somebody else's shoes." Right. We need to learn to look at each other differently. There is a tendency, even from the best of us, to simply look at externals. And you may have been taught right, or you may not have been taught right, as in how to uh, treat people with courtesy and kindness. Um, to treat them justly and equitably, right? But if we look at people the way Jesus looks at people, then we see that all of us are in one of two situations. We're not black and white and brown and Muslim and Christian and atheist. We're in one of two situations. You are either outside of Christ or you are in Christ, okay? And if you are outside of Christ, then my goal is to try to introduce you to Jesus, not to try to win you over to my opinion, right? Uh, not to try to get you to agree with me, but I want everyone to enjoy this fellowship and this relationship with God and have the hope of eternal life, okay? So he says, um, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, Um So again, that's this idea. And we have three pictures of Jesus in this room, okay? There's one in the back of the room and it's the Thomas Blackshear painting where Jesus is is holding up the man that has the mallet and the nails in his hand. Uh, You know, the idea being that Jesus wasn't executed by the Jews or the Romans. It was your sin and my sin, right? I'm the one that put the nails in his hands. Um, But there's a, you know, there's a, there's a a depiction of Jesus there. Then there's Jesus over here on this painting, you know, where it says that he, he learned obedience in the wilderness and, you know, there he is there. And then of course there's this very famous uh, depiction behind my head here uh, on the uh, high on the wall there that was actually, believe it or not, this painting back here was painted by a nine-year-old. It's pretty incredible, right? But here's the reality we have a tendency to look at Jesus kind of and make him, I make him like me, yeah. right? So was Jesus black? Was Jesus white? Was Jesus olive skin? Was Jesus? Well, historically, Jesus was a first century Palestinian Jew. He didn't, certainly didn't have long hair. Yeah. That would have been inappropriate. Yeah. He certainly would have had a beard, yeah. okay? Okay. He certainly would not have had white skin. He would have had olive skin. You follow what I'm saying? But all of that is Jesus in the flesh. We, 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 we want to see Jesus the way we want to see him, but that's Jesus in the flesh. We need to see, uh, as, as one theologian put it, the cosmic Christ. We need to see the Jesus that, yes, he became human. That's critical. That's what Christmas is about, the incarnation, but we need to see that Jesus is more and other than merely a first century Palestinian Jew. But that's where we can we can intersect with him, right? We can understand, as the scripture says, that he took on the fullness of humanity, right? He was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet was without sin. So um, he did become one of us, but we don't want to continue to view him in the flesh. And as verse 16 says, we need to stop regarding looking at stereotyping one another according to the flesh. We've got to stop looking at people in the natural because of your upbringing, you may judge people for a variety of reasons, their culture, their ethnicity, uh, their economic or social standing. It would seem that even inherited tendencies exist to accept or reject certain people. You may quote-unquote automatically dislike someone or be afraid of someone, or feel superior to someone, and not even understand why. The question is, do you trust your quote unquote intuition, which may be little more than an inborn discrimination, or will you begin to evaluate people according to the spiritual criterion that Christ brings to light? We look at people as either this or this but all human beings made in the image of God. That's how we look at people, right? I, I'm not going to request or require someone's documentation to be a citizen of the United States before I treat them as a human being whom God loves created in the image of God. And there is a real tendency in our day to divide according to our particular tribes, right? Right? To look at people according to race, and, you know, according to citizenship, according to their political viewpoints, and so forth, um, and it seems like there's just a constant storm that causes us to separate uh, from other people. As Christians, what I'm saying is we need to put down all of those. Uh, those points of separation and division and say, really, the only thing I need to be concerned about is do you know Jesus? Are you in Christ or not? And if you're not, I'm not superior to you, but I'm better off than you. It's kind of like somebody who has money and somebody who doesn't have money. Well, if I I have money, I'm not going to say I'm not better off than someone who doesn't have money. I am better off. What I am going to do is I'm going to take that money and I'm going to use it to help those people, right? Ideally, to help them to get a job, to get ahead and so forth, okay? Um, As Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. There are always the haves and the have-nots. Our purpose should be to help one another. The Apostle Paul was constantly trying to do this. Uh, We're going to get to that point in 2 Corinthians when we get to chapter eight. The apostle Paul was taking up a collection for the poor who lived in Jerusalem. Uh, the Jews that lived in Jerusalem were having an incredibly difficult time at this point in time. And Corinth was a very wealthy city. And many of these people that, G, that uh, the apostle Paul had preached to, um, they were doing well financially. And so the apostle Paul collected money from them and he took it to Jerusalem and he tried to help the people that were, that were poor there. One way or the other, we don't look at people as rich or poor, as this race or that race, as this religion or that religion. We need to look at people as human beings created in the image of God, deserving of respect because of that, and who are either in Christ or who are not in Christ. And if they're not in Christ, then we seek to help them to reconcile to Christ, all right? Now, this idea of anyone, uh, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Um, you need to start by looking at yourself that way, Are you in Christ, okay? Have you opened up your life, opened up your heart, and as we used to say, accepted Christ, okay? Uh, A more accurate term from the New Testament perspective is, have you received Christ and his message, right? Uh, John 1, 12 says, To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who called on his name. Have you called on his name? This is why I continue to encourage people to pray a sinner's prayer. That has sort of, you know, uh, fallen on hard times in our day. Well, you know, there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. Bunko, there sure is. Okay? Uh, Jesus told the parable of the, the Pharisee and the publican, the publican being a tax collector. The Pharisee basically prayed and talked about himself I thank thee that I am not as other men, right? That I tithe of all that I earn. And, you know, he just continued to talk about himself to God. And then Jesus said there was another man in the back of the room, the publican, right? The one that everybody looked down on. And that man wouldn't even look up. With his face to the ground, the publican only said four words. God, actually it's five words. Be merciful to me. Like six words, a sinner, six words. That's a sinner's prayer. And the scripture says, Jesus said that only one of those men went out of their right with God. Only one of those men went out of their justified and that was the publican, okay? The scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Calling on the name of the Lord, what is that? That's a prayer, okay? And if you're calling on the name of the Lord to be saved, what is that? That's a sinner's prayer, thank you very much. Okay, so I open my heart and I call on Jesus to save me. I call out to him. As a child who is lost calls out for his mother or her father, I call out to the Lord Jesus to save me. That's a sinner's prayer. That's where it all starts. I open my heart and I receive him. And he creates in me a new life, a new heart, right? He gives me a new birth. So the question is, is this you or is this you? That's the decision that you have to make. If this is you, then you need to get yourself in Christ. You need to get Christ into you by calling on his name, by calling out to him. So I call out to him to save me from sin and that saves me from death and from hell I believe and I submit and I call him Lord. See, that's what it says. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, okay? Yes, I want Jesus to save me. I want him to be my savior. But listen, he doesn't save you until he is your Lord. You call on Jesus as Lord, not, hey, Jesus, save me and give me a spot in heaven, okay? Now, I'll check you later. i want to go live my life the way I want to live my life. That's not the way it works. You say Jesus is Lord, that means you surrender to him, you submit to him, right? Faultingly, failingly, haltingly, you still say Jesus is Lord and you give your life to him. I've got to see myself differently than once I am in Christ. I've got to look at myself differently, right? Uh, You have a family background. Uh, You have a socioeconomic background. We have a national history and background but I've gotta see myself fundamentally as a child of God. I've gotta see myself not fundamentally, essentially as a citizen of the United States, but as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And that causes me to um, react differently, to act differently, to speak differently. So first of all, if I am in Christ, then I am in Christ in his crucifixion, right? I see myself as crucified with Christ. That's Galatians 2.20, another good verse for you to memorize. For I have been crucified with Christ so that no longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, or I live on in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Interestingly, the verb there is the present tense, I have been crucified with Christ. And it could be translated in the present because that perfect tense in Greek means something that happened in a point in time that continues to have consequences, that continues on into the present. So the, uh, I think the New King James and maybe even the King James translates, it, translates Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Not I was crucified with Christ. No, this continues to have consequences in the present, right? So I see myself as crucified with Christ and then I see myself as raised with Christ. By the way, this is why we get baptized. You haven't been baptized in water. You need to be baptized in water. That happens after you have come to Christ, right? Put yourself in Christ and that baptism symbolizes Buried with Christ in baptism, Uh, the person that is baptizing you puts you under the water, raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. I see myself as crucified with Christ. I see myself as raised with Christ. Baptism helps me to realize that, right? Uh, So here it is, Romans 6, 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's Romans 6, 4. And Colossians 3.1 says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then this in Ephesians 2.4-6, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You need to see yourself differently. Stop looking at that person in the mirror and saying, well, that's what I am. Stop listening to these voices from our culture that are lying to you. Stop listening to voices of even well-meaning people who are lying to you. You need to see yourself in Christ if you have come to Christ, right? And I need to see myself as a new person. I need to set myself as someone who has died with Christ in crucifixion, who has been raised with Christ and is therefore a new person. So at times my feelings may convince me that, you know, I'm just the same old person. I got the same feelings. You know, I still get mad and still get lustful and all of these different things. Um, But what I need to realize is that I have a new nature. I have been reborn. I'm I'm not the same old person with the same old perverse desires and bad habits. My faith in Christ convinces me that I am something and someone new. Listen, friends, we see this all over our culture today, right? People say, I identify as. How many times have you heard this lately? I identify as. What does this even mean? Okay? If there's no reality or reason behind you identifying as, then it's irrelevant, But see, because Jesus did die for you, because he was buried for you, that he was raised for you, if you come to Christ and you are in Christ, then you can identify as Christ legitimately, authentically, realistically, not pretentiously, okay? Sure, my my flesh retains its fallen nature. If I get my eyes off of Jesus, then I just, you know, I default back to all of that old fleshy stuff. But my life is not merely made of the flesh anymore. As the scripture says uh, in Romans chapter six uh, or eight, I am no longer in the domain of the flesh, but in the domain of the spirit, right? Right. My life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's what it says in uh, Colossians chapter three also. If I will change my thinking, then my attitude and actions and words will follow. Okay? You got to change your thinking, friend. Changing your thinking will change your ways. That's I've got to think differently. I've got to see myself differently. I've got to see other people differently. I've got to see Jesus differently. Um, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So in Christ, I see others differently. Other people, as I said earlier, are either in Christ or outside him. If outside, then they're separated from fellowship with God and fellowship with his people. They are in need of love and the life that Jesus offers. Therefore, I become an ambassador for Christ. I share my faith with them. I let them respond freely. Again, this isn't an excuse to try to convert as many people as you can and mark it down in your Bible, right? This isn't me trying to win arguments with people on social media, all right? And get them all to admit that what I'm saying is true and what they've been saying is, you know, false. That's not what I'm doing. I say this all the time. Your responsibility, if you are in Christ, is to share that faith, okay? But the person who you are sharing with, their response is not your responsibility. Their response is not your responsibility. You're not here to be some salesman. You're simply here to authentically, honestly share the faith that you have in Christ and let the Holy Spirit convict them and let the person respond accordingly, okay? Um What we must do then, fellow believers, is proclaim the gospel, the message of Christ. Proclamation of the gospel produces the opportunity for faith in those willing to pay attention. And honestly, not all of us are willing to pay attention, are we? That's essential, right? Even those that come to church, not always paying attention. You got to pay attention. Jesus said, um, you know, for those with ears to hear, let them hear, right? Right? Do you have the capability of paying attention? Then pay attention, right? And when you do, when you pay attention to the gospel, then it provokes in you an opportunity to respond in faith, right? What does it say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, right? So the gospel is proclaimed, you pay attention, it provokes that opportunity for faith. Now, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna say yes or no, right? Are you gonna move forward or are you gonna fall back, right? Um, I like this. Uh, so I've been quoting Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Here's the that same passage uh, translated in uh, the New Living Translation. So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ, right? Then he says, The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have come new. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. So we look at other people differently, but we look at everything differently. Everything takes on a new meaning, a new purpose. So everything that happens to you, if you are in Christ, you should be looking for what God is seeking to teach you through it, okay? You know, something terrible has happened. You've had a stroke. You've lost a job. you lost a, a spouse, right? Um, you've lost a friendship. What is God trying to teach me through this? Not God caused this, but what is the purpose? All things work together for good to those that love God and are called according. There is a purpose. So Miss Mary, we've been praying for her all along. She had a, a really massive stroke and she's recovering from that. But she is really, she believes that the Lord is teaching her through this. He is seeking to, you know, lead her in a direction as the result of what has happened. So I wouldn't pray a stroke on anybody, okay? I really, really wouldn't. But I can't stop stuff from happening to you. There's a lot of things you can stop from happening to you just by stopping making foolish decisions, Make better decisions about your finances. Make better decisions about your health. Be kinder to people, right? There, there are consequences, there are repercussions for many decisions that we make. But you know, there's plenty of things that happened to you you didn't deserve. I won't go into the details, but this church started as the result of something that happened to me that I didn't deserve. I I didn't do I didn't do anything wrong, right? And so it just took a long time for me to figure out what in the world is going on. But here we are, 23 years later, okay? God's had a purpose. Things haven't turned out the way I thought they were going to turn out, but God has a purpose. So all things have become new. I need to look at the world in a different way. Stop looking through the lens of the Republicans or the lens of the Democrats or the lens of whatever your tribe is and start looking at things through the lens of Christ, okay? Okay. We need to live life that way. No matter how many years go by since I've received Jesus, his mercy is new every day. So I have, um, I canceled my Apple Music. I've had Apple Music forever, right? But I discovered I'm paying for YouTube Premium, I'm paying for Spotify, and I'm paying for Apple Music. I'm paying for too many things, right? So, you know, I've got... Uh, whatever it's called, uh, Apple Match or iTunes Match or something like that, where it takes all the songs that I already own and it stores them on the cloud so that I can play them on any of my devices. And I own a lot of music that I bought back before all this stuff happened. And I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I can just listen to all my old stuff. I don't need to, you know, if I don't listen to the new stuff, then I'll go over to Spotify. You know, and I don't have to pay the same thing for all of these. So the reason I bring that up is it's caused me to start listening to some old music that I hadn't listened to in a long time. I have a playlist uh, that I created. This simply, uh, my name for the playlist is simply uh, 1617. I came to know Jesus when I was 16. I was called to preach when I was 17. These were the songs, the Christian songs that I was listening to at that point in time. So, you know how music is. Music, it triggers you, doesn't it? And it can trigger something good or something bad, right? So, I listen to those songs and it takes me back to that time. And there was a sweetness to those early days in Christ, right? There was a freshness, there was a newness, there was a, an authenticity to my faith and so forth, okay? And I started realizing I don't want to go back to that time, right? I mean, It was less stressful in many ways in the 70s than it is now because of all the electronic, everything that's going on, okay? But, you know, uh, the world was still a flaming disaster, you know, uh, fear of nuclear war and war with Russia and all this was going on all the time, all right? There's there's always been these challenges. And plus, I don't want to go back to being a teenager again. Mm -hmm. Eh, no. So I worked with teenagers for a lot of years and I still really love them. I I really do. Kids, your kids age, I I really do. But I think I had brain damage back then. It's what I think, because (laughs) they're very challenging. I wouldn't be 17 again for any reason. Okay, but those feelings that that, you know, are evoked by listening to these songs are really not about being that young They're about that time period and where I was with God. You know what? I don't have to go back to the past. I need to go back to the Lord. Amen? Amen. I need to have that kind of close, honest, fresh relationship with Jesus. That's what, uh, you know, that's what that... I, I guess, as I was thinking about this that's what I that was the the conclusion that I came to and the beauty is here's the here's the reality the reality is you cannot go back period you can't go back right We all need to stop getting into nostalgia and trying to go back because you can't go back in time. however, the God who is above time, when I relate to him I can get back to the place that I was at that point in time with God at this point in time and therefore have that same feeling, if you want to put it that way. Um, I like this from Lamentations three twenty-two and 23. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And this is the part I wanted to get to. They are new every morning, Amen. You can renew your relationship with Christ every single day. Indeed, you should. So, you know, um, I think what needs to happen, at least for me, and perhaps you can identify with this, is I need to return to my first love, okay? My most important love. Listen to what Jesus said to the church uh, at Ephesus in Revelation 2, 4, and 5. He said, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Lampstand means it's right to shine the light as, as a church. No, I cannot go back in time, but I can return to the Lord and I can do the deeds I did at I can restore and renew my first love. Amen? Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. And the feelings will follow. Okay? So I was thinking, I'm talking about these old songs that were uh, evoking this in me. And Keith Green was an artist that I listened to during that time period. And he has several songs that really fit into this category. But uh, there is a song that Keith Green did called The Grace by Which I Stand. And I'm gonna uh, read a bit of that or quote a bit of that to you. He says, Lord, the feelings are not the same. I guess I'm older. I guess I've changed. And how I wish it had been explained that as you're growing, you must remember that nothing lasts except the grace of God by which I stand in Jesus I know that I would surely fall away except for the grace by which I'm saved. And this is the part that caused me to remember this song. Lord, I remember that special way I vowed to serve you when it was brand new. But like Peter, I can't even watch and pray one hour with you and I bet I could deny you too. But nothing lasts except the grace of God by which I stand in Jesus. Amen? Feelings don't last, but God's grace that saved you still saves you, and his grace will continue to preserve you and keep you in Christ, right? Right? So I've already covered this just a bit uh, through this period, but our response to this is to become we are reconciled, we have, we have been brought back into the right relationship with God. Now we need to be um, ambassadors of reconciliation. Uh, here are these verses, this is 18 through 21. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us, that is brought himself back, brought us back to himself, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry This service, that is, of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's the gospel. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then that verse that's so important. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So reconciliation is based on the reality that we are by nature alienated from God. As I said, Sunday, all this starts with a fall, with a failure and a fall, okay? Okay. And that causes us to be alienated from God. Pride, selfishness, rebellion, sin, transgression, unbelief, perversion, wickedness, all these characterize our natural state. Christ came to restore us to himself and to his father. We are the father's estranged prodigals. Once we're reconciled, then we're called to be reconcilers. Unforgiveness is characteristic of, excuse me, unforgiveness is uncharacteristic of forgiven people. Jesus made it a point to teach that the willingness to forgive is related directly to being forgiven. Call it a positive correlation. As I forgive, so I will be forgiven. This is what Jesus said. This is on uh, uh, the heels of uh, him teaching about the uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. He said, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. You see, if I'm reconciled to God, I want to be reconciled to other people. I don't hold stuff against people. I release them. God has released me from my sin. I release them. According to Jesus, then, it appears that my change of heart toward those who have wronged me must precede God's willingness to forgive me. Wouldn't this make my willingness to forgive a work and God's forgiveness kind of a reward? No, Jesus is talking to those with ears to hear, people who have faith in him. We must realize that the Lord changes hardened hearts as the result of faith. There's a real change in us, okay? Um, When I turn toward God from my selfish rebellion and receive his Holy Spirit, I become a new creation. As we just read in 517, I receive a new heart which is grateful and willing to do God's will, then like Christ, I will forgive those who've hurt me, failed me, rejected me. You see, this is, it causes us to turn hard and cold and it keeps us from producing fruit and living a happy life. It's because you know, we've let these people that have hurt us um, take up space in our thinking and in our heart, right? It's like they're living rent, th- rent free in our heads, If you release those people and you turn them over to the Lord, you're not saying that what they did to you was right. Far from it. You're saying, no, it was wrong. Just like what I've done, my sin is wrong. But just as Christ has released me and forgiven me, so I release them and forgive them. I let them go. Well, I'll forgive them, but I'll never forget. Well, it starts with forgiveness. And having that active relationship with Christ. And then he just creates that buffer around your heart. And allows you to move further and further and further away from the hurts. And some of them take longer than others, right? But if I will not be reconciled to my fellow human being, then what I'm doing is I'm rejecting God's offer of reconciliation and transformation as well. If someone says, this is 1 John 4.20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So being a reconciler also means that I become a peacemaker. This is Romans 5.1. Well, actually, sorry. This is Matthew 5.9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. That's what Jesus said. To do this, I seek to bring the gospel to people with the result that they make peace with God. Right. Um, this is a, a famous verse that used to be in a track that Billy Graham used to uh, circulate. Um, and it was just called, Peace with God but it quoted this verse, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I could make that the theme scripture for this Sunday. This Sunday, we light the peace candle. And, and forgive me, I didn't relight the, the other candle up here. Um, the hope candle is this first one. The peace candle will be the next one. Which one of you, if you come Sunday, you can volunteer to light the peace candle, right? You say, yeah, I want to a peace candle. All right, so here here would be a good theme verse for that. All right, uh, peace is made between us and God because of Jesus, and as a result, we become ambassadors for Christ, as though He were making His appeal through us. So when you're the ambassador for a country, you represent that country, and you speak for everyone in that country. That's a big responsibility. Now, I love this. William Barclay writes about the, the Greek word that is translated ambassador, which in Greek is presbutes, and in Latin, it is legatus, okay? That will become important in a moment as I read his quote. In Greek, the presbutes, the ambassadors, so the word in the first place paints a picture of a man who has a direct commission from the emperor in Rome, and Paul regarded himself as commissioned by Jesus Christ for the work of the church. But presbutes and legatus, there's the Latin term for the same office, have even more interest have an even more interesting meaning. When the Roman Senate decided that a country should become a province, they sent to it ten legati, ten ambassadors. These were envoys, there's another term for it. And these were ten Romans who along with the victorious general arranged the terms of peace with the vanquished people and determined the boundaries of the new province, drew up a constitution for its new administration and then returned to submit what they had done for ratification by the Senate. They were the men responsible for bringing others into the family of the Roman empire So Paul thinks of himself as the man who brings others to the terms of God, whereby they can become citizens of his empire and members of his family. Amen. Here's the Christian's proud privilege and most terrifying responsibility. The honor of Christ and of the church are in the hands of each one of us. But every word and action we make will make others think more or less of the church and of our master Jesus. He says, then we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's a very strong term, we implore you. So he has very strong feelings about this. This isn't, well, if you want to be saved, you know, it's up to you, up to you. You want to go to hell? Fine. It's fine with me. I don't care. Okay. If you really believe in heaven and hell, when you meet somebody, where do you want them to go? Right. And again, I'm not there to win an argument with them. I'm not there to sell a product but I really want them to know the life that I have in Christ, okay? And uh, this is all made possible because of what Jesus did. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, I love what uh, in Vincent's word studies, um, he uh, gives us this idea of Jesus becoming sin for us. Okay, what does that mean? This is what he says. This is very powerful. Not a sin offering or a sinner. Jesus didn't just become a sin offering. He certainly didn't become a sinner. It says he became sin for us. Didn't mean that on the cross he started cursing and screaming and you know having lustful thoughts and all these sorts of things. No. But the representative of sin... On him, that is on Christ, representatively fell the collective consequence of sin in his enduring the contradiction of sinners against himself, in his agony in the garden and in his death on the cross. So what we're talking about here is what we could call the great transaction. Sin incurs a debt of death, for the wages of sin is death the person that sins will surely die. So every person owes that debt because all of us sin. Christ did not sin. Right? We do not have high priest as other high priests who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in all ways like as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus incurred no debt. Okay? Then he took on himself the entirety of human sin, he became the representative of all of our sin. And then he paid that debt. He died in our place. And as a result, he paid off the debt. Christ became human sin. Humans then who are in Christ become Christ's righteousness. Christ lived the life that you and I should and yet do not, right? So when we come to Christ, we are made, as theologians like to say, we are made positionally righteous. We are covered with a robe of righteousness. There's a passage in the Old Testament in the book of Zephaniah, I think it's, no, Zechariah, Uh, Zechariah chapter three, where the high priest is seen standing before an accuser, and he's wearing filthy garments. And the Lord says, no, take off the filthy garments and put on a clean garment. Right? And then again in Isaiah, it talks about uh, we we are given the robe of righteousness. I believe it's Isaiah. I want to say 60, the end of 60, it talks about this. Um, or it might be the end of 61 but it's right in there it talks about the robe of righteousness so you and i don't have in our fallen state in our failure in our sin we don't have enough righteousness to get us into heaven this old idea of you know the old scales right remember that all right you see the the scales of justice Ju- justice is a blind lady She's blind because justice is for everybody okay and the scales of justice well that that's great that makes sense But I think people believe that if they have enough good works, it's going to tip the scales so that they can go up to heaven. None of us have enough good works. We all fail all the time. That's why we need Christ, right? He tipped the scales permanently in our favor. But you've got to be in Christ for that to happen. And when that happens, my debt of sin that causes death is paid off and i receive the righteousness of christ the righteous life of christ the scripture says in romans 4:25 he was delivered over to death for our sins or because of our sins and was raised to life for our justification once jesus paid off the debt death no longer had any hold on him right and so he rose therefore when we are in christ we too Rise with Christ. So positionally, God saw Christ on the cross as every form of sin and evil properly belonging to human beings. Positionally, if you're a believer and you're in Christ, his death and resurrection is seen as the righteousness of God in you. Because of the resurrection of Christ, a believer is infused with the Holy Spirit who recreates their nature so that they will produce the same kinds of right attitudes and actions that Christ would. I think there's a tendency to look at this positional righteousness as an excuse to just go on living the way I want to live, okay? Well, I've got the robe of righteousness, so I can just kind of cover up my sin with it. That's not the way it works, okay? This infuses us, right? The Holy Spirit comes into us and infuses us with the righteousness of Christ, with a new nature. In Christ, a process of sanctification begins. We're we're progressively made more holy. So Jesus ascended to the right hand of God and sent his Holy Spirit to make people holy who live in Christ. I'm reborn. Remember Jesus said you have to be born again. You have to be born anew, right? You have to be born from above. We're given a new nature, we're reborn in Christ. And when I'm reborn, the Holy Spirit enters my heart, right? And he transforms my spirit and gives me a new nature. And that new nature produces righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. So not only am I positionally righteous, I produce righteousness. I like this um, in uh, his uh Famous devotional, my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers, said on a number of occasions, on a number of devotions, he said, work out what God works in. Well, he got that from Philippians two, twelve, and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you work out what he works in. You're a new creation in Christ. Act like it. Amen? Amen. All right. God bless you guys. God bless you that joined us online.